Welcome, welcome. This is episode number five of our new podcast called Behind the Wheels. My name is DJ Artistic. I am a DJ and just a overall cultural curator at this point, uh, based in Los Angeles, California. And this is our podcast where we discuss a lot of different things regarding music. We talk about the music that you all may have forgotten about or overlooked, new artists on the rise, and a lot of the current events that are going on. And we always conclude with a beat match. So that's that's what uh, what we have in store for you today. Uh, here's my co-host, EB. EB, what's good with you? What's going on, everybody? I am EB. I am a musicologist, writer, blogger, and content creator based out of Brooklyn, New York, with a love for soul music and a deep passion for all things blackity black, black, black. I know we just had our superhero day. I don't know if y'all got your powers or not. Uh, EB, did you grab any superpowers on the uh, 21st? No, I, I, um, I had called the people and they said that different people are in charge of allocating those powers. And Lauren Hill is my group leader. So I probably won't get my powers until maybe February or March. But when they come in, I know they're going to be all that. Hey, if, if Lauren Hill is in charge of it, you might not ever never get him. It might be 2028. <laughs> it might be the Olympics time or something by the time That's they okay. come through. That's okay. I'm going to get him, though. I'm going to get him one day. So it's, it's been a lot of stuff going on the last couple of days. Um, so one thing I've been seeing a lot on social media is people debating about the Isleys and Earth, Wind & Fire. And one thing that it kind of amuses me is that, of course, I mean, both groups are legendary and most of their peak work came in previous decades. But someone was basically saying that Mays would wipe up the Isleys and that it, it would be no competition. As soon as I read it, it's like, I already know that this is a kid. Like, a child had to say that. An actual adult wouldn't have said anything like that. But it's like, <laughs> me and you have talked about the Isleys and how they have a hit, basically, not just a hit, but multiple hits in, like, the last, what, five or six decades? Six decades, yeah. Yeah, like, like what would you even say, say to somebody who, who, who would even bring up those words that the Isleys would get mocked by anybody? So this is my thing. Anybody who knows me knows that Mays and Frankie Beverly are my absolute favorite everything. It was one of my first concerts I ever went to in life. And I think they're great. But the Isley Brothers, I think the only people that should ever be mentioned in a sentence with them are the Whispers or the OJs, because these are the groups that from the 1950s up until now have been able to be successful in every decade and still tour. So for you to compare somebody like Maze, who has not released an album since I think 1989, I think was their last album. Yeah. Um, with the Isley Brothers, who I'm sorry, in the 90s, Angela Winbush last week gave the Isley Brothers an entirely new sound and she helped them to propel to the new generation, to the 90s, to the 2000s and to the 2010s. I mean, Ron Isley is an icon on his own. So I love Frankie Beverly, but there's no comparing Isley's with Mays at all. I think, like you said, it's, it's got to be a child that said that. Like, no adult yeah. would even formulate those words. You know, they they it just doesn't make sense. This is one of those things that doesn't make sense. I agree. And I feel like it's probably somebody young who loves Before I Let Go. So um, the second <laughs> thing would be, uh, so what about Earth, Wind & Fire? Do you, do you think that Earth, Wind & Fire and Isley's would make sense? I don't think it'll make sense. And I have to say, I grew up in a household with a very black Southern father um, who in our parlor where he had his pool table and everything in a bar. The, the moonshine and all that. Every, okay. Listen, everything. Earth, yeah. Wind & Fire's albums were 
on the wall, like the vinyl covers were on the wall around the room because that's his number one group. Even still, I don't think the Earth, Earth, Wind & Fire is great for, you know, 70s and 80s against the Isleys. But what will they do after the 80s? Like, what will they bring for the 90s? What will they bring for the 2000s or even the 2010s? Earth, Wind & Fire just doesn't have the firepower behind them. I agree. And then that's just recent. Before that, it was like Isleys existed before them and after. Like and what, after, yeah. It's crazy because, like, Shout is a huge song, and Shout is probably even bigger with the... I guess we can say the the crossover pop crowds because I've done weddings where it was an interracial wedding, and maybe it's because of the movies. But you put on shout and shout is like that was like the knuck if you buck for the night. Like they were hyped to that. It, so it, it was yeah. the knuck if you buck for the fifties and the sixties because yeah. you know everybody just wanted to shout, and it's like okay they had shout then, and then in the seventies they came with the Quiet Storm classics. I mean classics that have shaped the foundation of 90s hip hop that, you know, Seriously. were sampled. And then even in the 2000s, once it became just Ernie and Ron and it was Mr. Big, Mr. With, Big um, yeah. with, with that pissy man, once <laughs> it became just those two, it's like the Isley Brothers found a home with an entire new generation of listeners. Like they got the contagious, like what is Earth, Wind yeah. & Fire going to do when Mr. Big says, what the hell is going on between the sheets in my home? They can't do anything. They just won't be able to do it. It's I mean, rap. they're classic, but they won't be able to go against the Isleys. Never. I agree. I feel like um, if it was a typical versus format with 20 songs a piece, it would be close. I mean, because 20 songs, yeah. that's the thing about a lot of these battles, like depending on how deep the discography is, 20 songs can be even. Once you get to 50 and 60, then it's like, all right, who, who has hits left? But, but for, for the top 20, I would say it would be close. It wouldn't be a blowout either way, but I would still be, I would still put money on the Isleys. I mean, like we said, Between the Sheets came out in the 80s and that song has been sampled so many times. Like even in, in the year of 1994, it produced three different hip hop classics. It produced Functify, it, it produced the uh, Keith Murray, Most Beautifulest Thing, mm -hmm. and it produced um, it produced uh, Biggie, of course. Big yeah, Papa, Biggie. So. And then even the 2000s, they gave us Whitney Houston's um, One of Those Days. Was one, one of Those of Days, yeah. Hit from then her when she was just uh gabby it gave us her, her first hit that we get to know her by so i think yeah. their foundation is stronger than anything that earth wind and fire could do i think earth wind and fire is a great group maurice white is one of my favorites of all time i think he is a legend a rest in peace to him he should be respected but i also it's, it's crazy with these verses that they do it's the whole uh the 20 songs yeah, you can do 20 songs, but can you do 20 songs and can they be comparable to each other? Can they be within the same time period? That's not something that I don't think Earth, Wind & Fire can do with the Isley Brothers. And the Isley Brothers also had, I mean, they had Harvest for the World. They had Summer Breeze. That guitar solo by Ernie, they had Aaliyah doing so, At Your Best in the 90s. I mean... It they they gave us same production, uh, same exact same, production, they same exact production. Note. That's how yeah. classic it was. It wasn't dated. Yeah. They gave us uh, what what are those girls' name? Remember uh, the two girls, Ron Osley, Mary, one of them, JS, JS. They gave yeah, us like cream. JS, wow. like yeah. <laughs> yeah. ice cream. They gave us Love Angel. I mean, they gave us you know all that. I don't think Earth, Wind, and Fire, even though they are a great group, and I have to keep reiterating that because I don't want anybody to think 
that we do not respect the legends around here. But Earth, Wind, and Fire is a great group. They just don't have what it takes to keep up with the Isleys. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's probably the top. That'd be my top pick for versus if it was a group like over anybody else. I would say. Yeah, definitely. So, and, and speaking of that, so last episode we discussed Keisha Cole and Ashanti, but Ashanti out here, out here in a Pentecost. Let me tell you, out something. here in a Panasonic, she's out here running around <laughs> out the country. Like even two days before it happened, somebody on my Twitch was like, wow. "I hope it happens because." Because she's out in Africa right now. And that's what was confusing to me because we are in the middle of a global placebo. And Ashanti, not only did you see photos and videos of her in Africa, like a week, less than a week before it happened. But the day that she announced that she wasn't going to be able to do it, she actually said, I never thought I would be tweeting this. I don't know how this happened. What do you mean? What do yeah. you mean you don't know how it happened? Like, clearly, you've been globetrotting, gallivanting all over the world, like coughing in people's mouth, people coughing in your mouth, and you come back talking about, well, I don't know how this happened. And I know Keisha Cole had to be pissed because, you know, yeah, Keisha was ready to yeah. probably debut a new song. She was trying to well, sell you know it. dish plates. You know it. She was trying to get everything that she could on. Frankie and Nephi were ready. They was ready to go up on their IG lives, too. And Ashanti ruined all of that. She did. Like Keisha, Keisha got the reverse braces to get the gap back and everything. Like she was, she was ready for it. Like Keisha oh, came ready. She, she she went to her vocal trainer and everything. She said, "I'm killing all these songs live." And Ashanti messed it up. So I mean, and they oh. honestly, I would have been mad if they had just did like the old school split screen. They they did that anyway just to that's talk. I, they could have did the music that way. I wanted yeah. to do that, and that's like one of my one of the issues that I do have with them is that. We've gotten away from that format where it's just virtual and everybody's in their own homes doing things. And that's when we get to see the mistakes, like somebody's computer not working right. Somebody's not loading something. Somebody don't know what song they're going to play. Like that's what makes it an enjoyable experience. And now it's become this big production. So to even expect both of them to be in the same room, I think from the start, it, it didn't make sense to me for them to be in the same room. I think Keisha Cole... I don't think she could be in a room with Ashanti. I think it would have been very awkward, like the Brandy and Monica one, like where clearly Keisha is Monica and Ashanti yeah. is Brandy, and no you're annoyed just looking at them, like because you could see the annoyance in Keisha's face. Keisha smoking her cigarette, like you said, she got the gap back, so the cigarette just resting peacefully right between the gap, and then Ashanti is over there. I don't even know what Ashanti would be doing. Ashanti is a beautiful woman. I will say that. Just looking pretty. I mean, uh, uh, baby, you know, I, I don't think that Ashanti and Keisha would have been good for versus anyway, but they did say they were rescheduling it. So yeah. we'll see. Um, I want Ashanti. I know Ashanti is New York to the heart, New York all day, every day, but Keisha is Oakland and, Ashanti, you know, she ain't real New York to me. Uh, you know, I'm not from yeah, New, York. I mean, I New York. She ain't. You said she Long Island. You said it, she, it's yeah, not the she, same. It's not the same. Shout out like, to my Long Island folks listening. Shout out to Long Island. Island. We hey. love them. But a little bit different. Not, it's a little different. It's not, it's not one of the five boroughs or even the four boroughs because I'm not even counting Staten Island. <laughs> um, but it's not one of the five boroughs. And Ashanti is very, like, she's very like, you know, cookie cutter, you know, June Cleaver, you know, just sweet and all this other stuff and keisha is very keisha is very she's i will wrong. brush you in your hey. face 
And yeah. and that's just what it is. I think their music, great music, but them together in the same room, I didn't want to see that. I think they should just go back to the format of having it virtual where they're each in their own home. Yeah, I get that. And speaking of that, so I'll ask you, because of course me being a California native, even though I'm not from the Bay, uh, what did you think about the, the two-string E40? Did you even watch it? You I did. I, I watched it. It, <laughs> And I think you know better than anybody um, because like, you're a California native and you went to FAMU. So you've gotten to experience different styles of regional rap. Yeah. Like you, you saw that. For me, someone who was from South Carolina and then moved up to D.C. and now New York, my whole existence is very east coast unless it's a pop record that was like something big on the pop charts then it's like okay west coast i get that so even watching it i was like wow like some of that stuff i'd never heard in my life yeah like some yeah. of those songs i'd never heard people was like oh this was my shit in college and i was like well i didn't go to college and if that's the case because <laughs> i've never heard yeah. any of that but i thought it was um a beautiful thing that the people from the west coast had that moment because i know that there'll probably be uh, probably be other moments like that where uh, people are based in different regions of the country and they really resonate with something. Like, for instance, if some go go, if they did a go go versus oh, yeah, go go, UCB and Rare Essence, listen, if they did something hey, like that, I don't think a lot of people in the country would get it, even if they even did something where they did like Chicago House versus like Baltimore House, Baltimore or House, the Jersey like, Club versus yeah. Baltimore Club. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people wouldn't get it, they just wouldn't get it. So I didn't. I know a lot of people were upset because they were kind of lost because they were like me, like, oh, I never heard this E40 song. Like, you know, the only two short song a lot of people know is Blow the Whistle. And he saved that, you know, rightfully so, to one of the last songs that he did. Um, it was a it was an interesting experience, I will say that. Cause I yeah. found myself at several times tuning out, like, oh, I don't even know this song. So everybody else is love is is in love with it, but I'm not even a part of that culture or i don't remember any of that yeah i mean it's so it's it's a lot of ways to look at it so one thing about it like they've explained it before la and the bay are both california but we're way different and it's where la la being a big city we had the labels here we had the push so a lot of artists who blew up in la blew up nationwide so even how we mentioned in previous episodes a gangster lean type of song even though they're ironically signed by hammer from the bay but but with that, the Bay has a lot, a lot more local music. So even the pre-show, they're playing all these songs that I only knew because I researched these 10, 12 years ago. And I made a mix called The Timeline. Mm -hmm. The Timeline was a mix of like 500 West Coast songs from the 80s up to now. And with that, I wanted to make sure I had the Bay fully included because I realized they had songs that we didn't know as much in L.A. But doing that research, I realized this songs and artists I had never, ever heard of or even artists who I would know because, like, you know, I got five on it. Everybody knows that. Yeah. But each artist on there, you probably couldn't tell who's who. Each each verse had two different artists on it, and each of them had like legendary songs. So I learned. I'm I'm learning Spice One One Eighty Seven Proof. I'm learning. Um, Drew Down had more than just Mag of the Year, so and you probably don't even know those songs. And those those songs made to LA. Like. So one thing with them, I can say is that Two Strong E Forty, they were big in the Midwest. So Kansas City, they love they love uh, the Bay music period. The mm -hmm. South, they were pretty big too, but it's also generational. So I feel like if you were there in the early, mid 90s, all those Bay artists were huge out there. So all the Selly Cells, all the um, all the Spice Ones, the you know, um, Ant Banks, the Mac Moss. So they were they were big there, but the East Coast never really touched them. 
DC didn't really touch him too much. And even like the Carolinas probably didn't, but like I was at I was yeah. at FAMU when when Hyphy was popping. So 06, you would hear more than just the uh like Blood and Whistle wasn't even I wasn't even big until 09 anyway, but you you did hear a couple of those E40 songs, the muscle cars and super hyphy from Kick the Sneak. You heard those at FAMU. So certain HBCUs did get to the hyphy movement around that 0506, but it came and went real quick, just like how jerking was for LA. And that's another thing. I think like you were highlighting that, you know, the Bay and LA, yes, both West Coast, but completely different in terms of styles of music and, you yeah. know, with one having more. I think people think of even the South as, you know, all Southern hip hop is the same. What West we were listening to in the Carolinas is more akin to like what they were listening to in Atlanta. If you go down to yeah. Florida or Alabama, it's totally different. If you go to Louisiana or Mississippi, that's even more different. And if you go to yeah. Texas, that is something... Yeah. Texas does their own thing. They've always done their own thing. And sure. even like, you know, Virginia, it still the Virginia South. is always kind of lean East Coast in the way. Yeah, right? they, North, they, they, yeah they, 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 they lean more towards like the, the New York style of hip hop or even like New York and Philly are two different styles. And I know a lot of people don't yeah. hear that, but I hear it. I'm just sure. like, that. you can tell when his rapper is from New York and you can tell when he's from Philly. Um, but the South is not like a monolith in terms of hip hop. Like the stuff, like no, no limit is nothing like Outkast, which <laughs> is nothing like UGK, Trick Daddy, UGK, which is yeah. nothing like, you know, like Paul Wall, like all of these artists exist and they take on, you know, that title of Southern hip hop, but they're all very different. That is true. So I do feel like um, me being the type that I am, I look forward to a couple more regional battles coming up on, on Versus because after yeah. a while, it's not going to be but so many more huge acts. Of course, we're not going to get a Beyonce or Jay-Z or Rihanna. So I'll, <laughs> I'll be happy if it is some regional acts that come up. So I mean, there should be. There yeah, should be. Yeah. I think there's an opportunity, just as we have with this show, with this podcast, is to introduce people to something new and something that they've never been exposed to. And with a platform like that, I think, it should be their responsibility to, you know, okay, let's dive into like some of the maybe not mainstream commercial acts, but you know, these regional acts and maybe let's just, you know, everybody in Texas get real hype one time, or maybe everybody in Alabama or everybody in Georgia, everybody in New York or whatever city USA get real hype for what we're bringing them. And I think not only will that city get hype, but you will also be introducing so many more people to this music. Like I learned a lot about E40 in Too Short. And and I actually made me a little playlist where I had to put some right. songs on there. I was just like, okay, something to listen to. Um, but I think that should be the responsibility of a lot of people, you know, just you know, put people on to something. Yeah, for sure. It, it separates the music heads from the casual listeners because I can tell just from the yes. just from Twitter, you can tell the ones who are like, I never heard this. This is kind of jamming versus I ain't watching this or this is trash. And yes. it's <laughs> like it, it does it, it can frustrate you if you are from a certain place because I'm reading that and it shows how how strong some biases are. Cause a lot of us, like conversely, we even said like coming from, from the West, we saw Jetty Kiss and Fab and I didn't know a lot of those mixtape songs and I know all their commercial songs, but they, but the they mixtape, went mixtape. Yeah. I was lost honestly on a couple of those, but I'm like, all right, they speaking some bars. So I'm still going to vibe to it. So I do think that's, that's something that it's all about that exposure. And uh, I'm happy that they have given that platform to expose artists who might not get the same look commercially uh, on radio. So this next segment is going to be called the rewind. We're talking about some, some artists that, that we grew up on or that we haven't really mentioned in a long time as far as the uh, mainstream goes. So 
Uh, EB, who who would be your pick for this week to um to to bring back an artist from whatever decade it could be? It could be seventies, eighties, nineties. All right, so I'm cheating a little bit. So my pick is okay. from seventies, eighties, and nineties, and they are all three. One of the greatest R&B collectives to ever exist, and I was very excited this week to talk about this group. They're Sky. Um, Sky with two Y's. Sky with two Y's. S K Y Y. Um. I don't think people realize that this group formed in 1973, although their first album wasn't released until 1979. So it's right in the middle of disco. And between 79 and 92, they released 10 albums. So they went from disco to post-disco and boogie to then like New Jack Swing, hip hop, soulish type of of, uh, vibe. Um, they are one of the few R&B bands to be able to do that. Like most people, you existed within not necessarily an era, but a certain subgenre of music, which is why you associate certain acts. Like you associate Donna Summer with disco, disco. but you would associate okay. a Kashif with a post boogie, but then you would associate like a Keith Sweat with New Jack Swing. Yeah. It's because those artists could not, they don't, they didn't have the sustainability to exist outside of whatever subgenre they were in. But the magical thing about Sky was that they were able to evolve with the time. So you listen to songs like uh, Here's to You or High, they sound nothing like When You Touch Me or Call Me, you know, here's my number and a dime, call me anytime. And then you go and you got Start of a Romance, which is top tier. And my favorite song by them is called Real Love. And I Real remember, love, yeah, that's like man, 1990 or 89, man, ain't it? I remember yeah. being a, a young guy and listening to the radio, the Big DM 101 FM, Columbia, South Carolina, back in the day, you know, listening to the radio and, you know, they took requests and one of the requests was, he was like, hey, what's your name? And I hear this voice that sounds very familiar. And I'm like, oh, it sounds like somebody I know. And it's my mama from the other room calling <laughs> the big DM. Hi, I'm Shonda, and I want to request um, "Real Love" by Sky. And she dedicated it to my father. And I was thinking, like, wow, he's not even listening to the radio. Like, he in the room sleep. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. But what? like, that made such like an impact on wow. me. And their music has always stayed with me. And I remember uh, a couple years ago when I started my blog and my website. One of the first celebrities to actually email me, like reach out to me, was Denise, who was the lead singer from Sky. And most people would meet like a Prince or Michael Jackson or Beyonce and go crazy. Like I got the email and I was trying not to cry and be like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I wanted to send Mm -hmm. it to my mama and be like, remember when you were simping? Back in the early 90s, and oh, he was dedicating God songs. I was like, Well, Denise is talking to me, you know. But Sky wow. is definitely wow. one of those that's groups. crazy. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, I remember that yeah. so clearly. Like, oh, it sounds like mama. Oh, it is my mama. You know, she, hi, this is Shoni. Okay, girl. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, all right. But no, Sky is one of those groups that's just been able to um evolve with the times. And they have, like I said, 10 albums, and these are just studio albums, 10 of them full of great music. And I, I think a lot of people just don't realize um, how versatile they were as a group that they were able to go through these different movements in yeah. R&B. It's definitely a, a huge part of, um, it's a huge thing that I realized with artists who came out in the seventies, especially the mid late seventies, mm-hmm. the style changed so many times. And we've talked about that before, but within yeah. a 12, 15 year period, 
it was almost impossible because even the legends who were huge in the 60s and 70s when the 80s came in like even when, <laughs> when it comes to like even when it comes to aretha and sometimes stevie they still made good music but, but you, you, you could sense that they were kind of aging out it just felt yep. of course like their voices didn't match the production of certain songs that they were on in the 80s so mm -hmm. like with sky the first song i actually remember from sky was a backyard boogie classic called us uh called high hey like, hi. yeah and funny enough sure. it was sampled for a song called backyard boogie by mac 10. Oh, see, I didn't even that know song. that. Yeah. That, that song is huge here, but it's like it's it sampled that because that's one of those songs we grew up on. It was a, a skating slash backyard like anthem for us. So and it's crazy. I mean, because I guess I'm guessing this was like the 90s, right? Yeah, early it 90s. Was, it, it was a early skating 90s. backyard anthem for you in the 90s, but high was that the same exact thing, <laughs> a skating backyard anthem for people in the very early 80s so it's 80s, just like yeah. their ability to, to uh i guess kind of transcend generations and still exist and mean something different you know they they did that like kind of like james brown when you listen to james brown and you hear a sample or if you hear a, I guess the isley brothers we're talking about isley brothers you know between the sheets mean something totally different to my grandfather than it does <laughs> to me because it was it was meant for something else and sky was just one yeah. of those groups that was able to do it all and even today they're still touring um just the three sisters um bonnie dolores and denise um as the ladies of sky but that's my rewind i want everybody to go back and get into sky and some of the music that they have blessed us with over um the time that we've all been alive Definitely, definitely. Much respect to Sky. And my pick for this week is a similar era. So I'm going with Cheryl Lynn. Hey. So, uh, keep it real than your girl Cheryl Lynn, as uh, Slum Village said. So with that, Cheryl Lynn is one of those artists that when it comes to, I would say, a, a 35 to 40 year old knows her name for sure. And they can name a couple songs. 30 and under might know her name, but they might not. But they'll hear a couple of her songs and say, oh, that's who that's who made that. I, I didn't realize who it was. So. She came out the gate with her biggest hit, and that's one of those things that can be a gift and a curse for a lot of artists. For her, it was this researching. It was kind of both for her. So yeah, she came out with that, uh, Got To Be Real. And that song, for anybody who went to certain HBCUs, I'm not sure about Howard, but- <laughs> No, fam, Howard too. Okay, yeah. fam, you Deltas, like, I cannot hear that song without picturing 55 perms just flying back to back. Yeah. Like, whenever I hear that song, it's just automatic. And- I always wondered about that versus the emotions, best of my love. They're kind of like twin same, songs. Yeah, same song. Same. I've never seen them songs in the same room at the same time. So I don't <laughs> you know. Won't, you won't, I'm wondering, you won't like, it. maybe it's the same person, but. Same thing. Same exact I think song. It's, it's, it's maybe two keys apart. That's about it. But they're yeah. similar tempo. So she came out the gate with that. And that was her best selling album, her debut. But then it felt like from there, she didn't have as much success. Uh, as far as being a solo artist. So that first song was produced, of course, by David Foster and uh, one of the artists from Toto. And she kind of struggled to make major hits and albums beyond that. Her second album was decent. The In Love album dropped around 79 and it had that disco sound. And she probably got lost in the shuffle of that disco era where 79 was just peak disco. So it was, I think Off the Wall was what, 79, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so it was the same era, and it has a similar sound, but she didn't really have any breakthrough songs on there. But the third album to me is probably her her best to me personally. It's called In the Night, 
And the night has some jams on it. It's where she kind of slowed the whole tempo so down. That was the Luther produced, right? I think it might have been. It, it feels like it had a Luther production to it. So when she came into that era, she had tracks like Show You How. She had a song called In the Night that reminds me of uh, George Benson, Give Me the Night. And she had that real smooth, mellow, soulful sound. And to me, I feel like that should have blown up a lot bigger than what it was. I'm not sure if it was label politics or whatever it was at the time that didn't get her to that level. But she was still making quality music. She dropped the album almost every year for about 10 years. And uh, beyond beyond her, her main hit, um, Gotta Be Real, she had some classic features. So, of course, we all know that she's on... Well, I can't say we all know. Me and you know, but right, right. a lot of folks don't realize on Luther at this world we're mine. Speaking of Luther, that sure. duet is probably one of my top five duets of all time. All time, and yeah. it's—I feel like it was immortalized by the the wood, of course. And a lot <laughs> of folks were introduced to it by the wood, which is, of course, we talked about. That's my favorite. That's your movie favorite ever. movie, yeah. Of course. So hearing that song in there, and like one thing about that about um the wood, they they play the the short version. They they, they play it where it's kind of. The radio edit, mm-hmm. it skips through real quick, but the extended version where they both have long parts, like at the very end, like you are my constellation, like Luther has a whole part, then she has a part that comes after. And that song is just amazing to me. I didn't realize until recently, maybe the last 10 years, that that's a remake for Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye and Tammy I had no Terrell. Idea. Yeah, yeah, Tammy Terrell. Yeah. And it's one and of those songs. actually uh, sampled their version on... Um, Turn the lights out from her second album, It's Me Again. She sampled the oh, original wow. If This World Were Mine. But a lot of people, because like the Isley brothers, when Luther remade something, he yeah. remade it and it was like a whole new song. Um, Cheryl and Luther's version of If This World Were Mine sounds nothing like the Marvin and Tammy. A whole different tone. Like yeah. Marvin and Tammy had some amazing, amazing collabs. Yeah. But that one was decent, but. Luther came and put a whole different twist to it. That Marcus Miller bass line, the way it comes in, like, it's just a whole different... Like you said, Luther breathes uh, lives into those remakes that nobody else can do. And he yeah. owns those songs. Once Luther remakes your song, it's, it's his. Like, he debos all, all of your songs. Rest in peace, uh, Tiny Lister. Like, he, he takes those songs and just makes it his own. So Cheryl came through and smashed the windows with that too. I feel like they were equal partners on that on that duet. So... Yeah, she had an I, amazing range and like um, a lot of people don't realize it. I know everybody loves Georgie Porgy because they oh, love yeah, Georgie uh, Porgy. Yeah. Faith Evans and Eric Benet version. But the original was was the total version. Total. Um, yeah, she's background on it. She was the one who was doing what Faith Evans did on the Eric Benet version. So yeah. Cheryl was the one coming in with all the ad libs and the background vocals and going in. And she kind of set the standard for every singer who did it after her. Definitely got to give her her flowers. And oh yeah, as far as her, her albums, I think the third one was produced by Ray Parker Jr. Then Luther did mm. her, her fourth one. Her fourth, okay. Uh, Instant Love, yeah, yeah. So Instant Love. All in the same era. And they're like a year apart. So back then they're dropping albums <laughs> year by year. It's like, yeah. they ain't taking no breaks. So Sometimes two in one year, like yeah, we dropping albums. And on the flip side, our next segment is going to be called Fast Forward. We're going to talk about two different artists that we feel like you all should be aware about. So once again, EB, I'll go ahead and let you give your piece on yours first. All right. So <laughs> so her name is Sharia. Uh, and I'm I'm laughing because Sharia. OK, when I we, we talked earlier this week and I was like, I promise this is the last fast forward that I'm going to do. That is not an American artist. And I'm trying. I mean, but like you said, I can't be mad. who are bringing it consistently. So she's an Indian-American artist, actually. And 
Um, she is, well, she describes her, her um, influences there. She says, Etta James, Amy Winehouse, and then there are a couple of actual Indian singers that she loves. And she has this album called Seven Deadly Sins. That sounds, that sounds deep. That sounds, yeah. It's a concept album, and I love concept albums these days. I don't know what it is. But so every song is named after one of the seven deadly sins. Oh. And the songs actually capture the feeling of those sins. So there's like lust, greed, envy, sloth, anger, pride, and gluttony. Oh, you went to vacation Bible study. Yeah. Listen, you hey, your seven deadly sins. That's, that's, it. that's right. So each song, each song is actually like, and 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 you know it's a short album. I will say that's like my only thing is the albums are getting shorter and shorter. So the whole album is only like twenty three minutes long, which yeah, I hate because uh, I always want more. But it's a really, really, really good album. It's a like I said, it's a concept album, and each song captures that feeling of the mood of whatever sin she's talking about. She also had an album. Uh, a couple years ago, I think it was like 2018, called Skin. And Skin was actually a good album. I'm not sure if that was necessarily a concept album. I think it's one that women could probably relate to more because I think what she was talking about is, um, you know, the adolescence of, you know, womanhood or becoming a woman and living through that. I love it, but it, I just relate more to um, <laughs> I relate more to the seven deadly sins because I'm a sinner. Um, I mean, we all I mean, are. We, real. we fall down, but we I get up. Being real, but uh, like like I said, her influences she includes Etta James and Amy Winehouse, as well as some uh, popular Indian singers. Uh, one of them actually has the same name as her, Sharia, but mm -hmm. she is my fast forward because I really think that she has a bright future in music. Not just the music, but if she keeps doing what she's doing with these concept albums, I'm like, because you're reaching yeah. somebody uh, in a special way each time. It's almost like the regional rap conversation where, you know, certain people won't understand it, but certain people will really get into it. If they get and it, I, yeah. It hits yeah, them deeper. It yeah. hits them yeah. deeper. And, and that's what she's doing. Like like I said, I'm a sinner. So Seven Deadly Sins hit me real deep. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, hey. I know about pride. I know about anger. You know, I was ready. Yeah, I mean, I do a little bit of sinning myself, so I'm gonna have to go ahead and uh, check her out. You know, I try not to sin as much on Sundays, but it happens sometimes. Yeah. You know, so every now and then, every now and then it happens. So for my pick this week is Duran Bernard. Hey, so Duran Bernard. So the thing with him, I know a lot of people probably discovered him on um, the next big thing on BET. I think that was last year. So for me, I discovered him. I'm gonna say this was two and a half, maybe even three years ago. Actually, it was early. 2018. So I was doing a showcase, um, basically hosted by the live playlist. My boy Lamont, he always works for all the singers from like the voice and those type shows. And uh, I remember he had the bill for the, for the show. It's always like those type singers who aren't like huge in the mainstream, but they're always amazing singers. So he had me DJing that and he had on the, uh, the bill, he had Duran Bernard. So I remember posting it and people were commenting like, Oh, Duran's Duran's performing up. I'm going to it. And I was like, who is that? And then people were responding telling me, He's one of Erica Badu's background singers, but he he has a crazy voice, a crazy style. So I'm like, all right, cool, cool. So I remember uh, setting up by DJ in between the acts and before he went up. I think he might have given me a song of his to play. He told me to just play this song and the band will vibe on top of it. 
and the title was FNF. I'm like, what does that even stand for? Okay. Basically, I was I was just like I was amused, but I was blown away because he he has that personality. Like he's outgoing, flamboyant, like you know what it is. As soon as he walks out there, as soon as he talks, but he as soon as he starts singing, it's like, whoa, like he has vocals, he can sing as low as Nate Dogg and as high as D'Angelo. And every song he did was his fire to me. It's like he had these these crazy concepts, like it was almost like troll songs. It was the type of songs you would see on like almost as a as a TikTok or a Snapchat that's just trolling like a like a hilarious title, but it's actually a dope song. So I, mm-hmm. I started checking them out from there and everything that I've listened to him since then has been dope. I saw him on Terrell Grice's show. Um, Terrell always has nothing but amazing singers on there anyway. He has Layla's and the Candace Boy type. He had him on there and he, he did a remake of Kirk Franklin uh, Stump and it's called Smoke. And he's talking about, he remakes that whole song about smoking weed. And I was like, this is the most ignorant fire I've heard in a minute. He's playing the piano at the same time, singing it. And it's, I'm like, this dude got some talent. Like, I, I got to keep on checking him out. So he he dropped a new album this year called Duran. It's like D-U-R than the ampersand. Mm-hmm. The album is fire. Like, it's, it's where I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know his direction he was going. A lot of times these modern artists from this era probably the last 15 years who are great singers struggle with making great albums and, and songs. It feels like a lot of them have whatever the syndrome is where they can sing great, but the songs are either too watered down for them or either they're, they're spending so much time focusing on, on singing that the right. song doesn't come out that great. And they don't always have the best songwriters, but on his album, I was pretty impressed. He had, he has a track with uh, Ari Lennox. It's called um, Stuck. And that song is just, is just the vibe. It has that kind of modern neo soulish. A lot of songs on there actually sound inspired by high tech, like that kind of early, early 2000s, like the high tech Dilla type of the upbeat neo soul or soulful rap, the Talib Kweli type of sound on some of the production. Some of it sounds a little bit West Coast, but I was just impressed by the production. He has one song called Him that's just a crazy, like a ballad that turns into an upbeat jam. And it's, it's one of those songs, when I first heard it, I was mad that it cut off so quick. I'm like, you could have made that eight minutes, and I would have just vibed out to it. Durand is definitely um, uh, one of Erica's disciples. The first time I actually discovered him was way back in, I guess, 2008 or 2009. Oh, wow. It was um, when he was on YouTube as Alcohol Harmony. And what he did was he was in the middle of like a school play. So I guess he was still in high school then, now that I'm thinking about it which is weird, but he was in the middle of like rehearsing for a play or something. And he just had uh, a camera and he was walking around singing Erica's That Hump from New America Part One. Mm. And it was the first time that I've heard anybody, um, I love you, Erica. It was the first time that I've ever heard anybody sing Erica Badu better than Erica Badu. Wow. <laughs> and like it was his vocals, just like wa- like literally he's walking around and you see these kids in the background, you know, everybody's setting up for this play and he's just singing the whole song. And when it got to the second verse for everybody familiar with the song, um, Erica gets crazier in the second verse and, and, yeah. you know, she takes it up an octave and he took it way up and nailed every note. He killed every note. Yeah. Like effortlessly. Yeah. And I think from that, um, she discovered him and brought him on to be, you know, I think at first maybe he just did like one or two dates with her, you know, singing back up. But, you know, he got the talent and she recognized that. And she's like, you know what? I want you to be one of mine. You know, she has like, uh, she's classically had like 
Ndambi, she's had Yazara, she's had Keisha Jackson, she's had Nayrock, her sister. Um, and I I don't know. I think Duran may be the first male that she actually I can had. Think of because yeah, you're yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think he was the first male that she actually had singing behind her. And I mean, I know for me, for anybody who's unfamiliar with his voice, and I'm not trying to say he sounds like these people, but listening to his voice, you would get like a Rasan Patterson feel. Yeah, for sure. Or um, I'm hesitant to say Stokely from Mint Condition. I was going to say Stokely right there. Yeah, people Stokely, they have similar voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that's yeah. what you get. And his range is out of this world. Um, I think he's a phenomenal talent. I, the song with him and Ari Lennox. Yeah. Chef's Kiss. Like when you have, uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about the younger generation, the new generation of singers. Like these are two talented people right here working together and they made this amazing song. Yeah. I think he is one of those ones that will go far. And I like the fact that music to him is personal. And I, you, you know, I'm not friends with him. I've spoken with him before, but I'm not friends with him. I can tell that it's like a personal thing for him. It's something that he loves. It's not, he's not chasing a trend. He's not trying to yeah, be famous. Same. It's like he pours his heart and, and his soul into his craft. And that is one of my favorite things about him. I did ask him once about, uh, Rick James, because surprisingly, he was a huge Rick James fan. I could see and that. Like, it, was, it blew my mind because I'm a huge Rick James fan. So I remember giving him songs like, oh, listen to this song. Listen to this. I, I went to like full like music nerd and probably embarrassed myself. Like, oh, I want you to sing this one, remake this one, remake this one. But um, he's one of those that actually studies music and he feels it on another level. And you feel that as a listener because... He's putting his heart and soul into everything he's doing. I think that's an amazing fast forward. Durand is the truth. So we have a playlist that's going to have some songs that that uh, feature everyone who we've mentioned so far in our rewind, fast forward, and even in our catch up. So we're going to go ahead and take a break at this time. When we get back from this break, we're going to have the drop and beat match. So in the drop, we're going to be discussing classic songs that people always misinterpret the meanings of. <laughs> and we're also going to have a beat match between... Timbaland and Pharrell. We're going to see how that goes. Also, if you have anything that you would like us to mention or, or speak about, go ahead and give us an email. Shoot us an email to behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. While we're taking a quick break, please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review the show. This helps other people find the podcast. All right, we are back. This is Behind the Wheels once again with Artistic and EB. We have two more segments for you. So this first segment is going to be called The Drop. We're going to be talking about some classic songs that people always misinterpret the meanings of. And as a DJ, I can say that there's a lot of songs that I personally didn't realize had a different meaning until I, I had to just investigate. Uh, doing weddings, I've done at this point about, I counted 98 weddings I've DJed since 2009. And my first couple of weddings, I remember playing certain songs, and for whatever reason, in that moment, I would listen listen a lot closer to these songs, and it would hit me like, "Well, this song shouldn't be played at the wedding. Like, why am I playing this?" And then from there, I remember uh, whenever I would meet with certain couples, every once in a while, I would meet with a couple, and they'd give me a song to play for whether it was their first dance or they're walking out uh, down the aisle, and I would say, 
uh, you know what that song's about, don't you? And every time they're like, whoa, I, I never looked that deep into it. And one of the main ones that that um that that I feel like is always out of place. I've actually seen you mention this one though, even before we had the podcast, is Maxwell's <laughs> remake of This Woman's Work. Hate it. And I'm like, so it was a viral video last year. And I hate being, I hate people on Twitter who are always the um, well, actually, it's like a hashtag that Desus, uh, the homie Desus actually started hashtag well actually because people always want to correct somebody. <laughs> but I had to because somebody at a wedding, it's it's beautiful. It's a, a that's been everybody's wedding. wedding song. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful black black wedding. It's a singer who sounds almost just like Maxwell, and he's singing this woman's work. Everybody is just super <laughs> emotional. But I'm like, do y'all know what this song is talking about? The song is. Famous because of loving basketball, it was used during the the uh, sex scene. I guess they both they both lost their virginity, whatever. And I get the whole significance of that scene, but the the song choice in that moment didn't make any sense to me. The song is from a movie uh, called "She's Having a Baby" with yeah. uh, Kevin Bacon. It was uh, in the eighties. John Hughes and I love John Hughes mu- movies, but the song is about uh, a woman dying during childbirth and. Yeah. When people play it at their weddings, I'm always like, no, don't do that. The original song was by Kate Bush, and yeah. she specifically wrote it for the scene in the movie where this man realizes that I'm going to lose either my child, my wife, or both of them. Huh. And Maxwell's remake, and I guess part of it is because Maxwell is who Maxwell is, and people love yeah. Maxwell. People, you know, women, especially women are like, oh, I love this song. You know, Maxwell could sing anything to me. Make it sexy. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, it's about somebody dying. It's it's a song about death. Another one of those songs yeah. is Chic. And we talked about uh, Lafrique and Lafrique, how yeah, it was yeah. originally, you know, it's fuck off. It was like, you know, they won't let us into the disco, but it became this huge disco hit. And people listen to it now and don't even know that. It's actually a fuck you to disco, but it is it became so huge. It like when people hear it, they think it's celebrating the whole disco movement, but it was the exact opposite. The main thing between a lot of these songs I can say just from uh whenever I think about these is because the chorus is not that it doesn't match up with the verses, it's just that the <laughs> meaning is really always in the verses, and yeah. and the, the chorus is more so surface and it's not really explaining it in depth. So one big one is that that's it's obvious if you if you listen to what she's saying, but Whitney saving all my love. It's so <laughs> obvious that she's talking about being a side chick, saving up all her love for when she when the dude can leave his wife and come back to her. But I've heard that at weddings before, and it's like for why? It's almost like people do um, with Guy and Peace of My Love. Oh, Peace like, of My oh, Love. Yeah, oh, yes. Peace of My Love. It's like that's another one for sure. Hmm. You, he's only giving you a piece because he thinks that's all that you deserve. Side um, piece of my love. Uh, yeah, side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another one is actually, um, I'm going to give you two. Yeah. Um, Lady Gaga's Poker Face. Poker Face. So I think I know what it means. I'm pretty sure I know. It's, but It's about yeah. her bisexuality and the fact that she can mask that and, you know, move between worlds. Um, and then... I guess a big one is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. What does that song mean at all? It it's, sounds like it's just random, but I know it has to be. It's working. not. Freddie Mercury wrote that. It's about him coming out of the closet. So when he's saying, Mama, I just killed a man, he's talking about the uh, 
perceived heterosexual version of himself. Uh, like he's killing that and he wants to be free and live his life. Um, but I don't even know what people think it means now. I think it's just like a jam and, you know, it's something we listen to, but that's what he was really talking about. He was talking about coming out of the closet. It, you know, it, was, it wasn't, um, people are always like, uh, you know, that's a jam. You know, we listen to Bohemian Rhapsody, especially because of all the parts of the song. It's like a karaoke it's staple. So animated. Yeah. yeah. For him, it was like, oh, this is his, like, I guess it was like Usher's confession. That was his confession. <laughs> like, you know, I'm yeah. coming out of the closet. Yeah, busting the doors open. It's crazy right. because those type of songs, like, it's a good thing that the average person didn't know back then because the way that society was so homophobic at that time, like, yeah. it, it wouldn't have been in Wayne's world. It wouldn't have been in that infamous car scene because people would have, would have uh, if they had yeah. known what that song was about, you know how, especially especially the bros, those type, they would have been like, I'm not singing a song about a guy coming out. Like, they, I can see that, yeah. that happening, so... It would have killed the whole song. It would not be the classic yeah. that it is now. One of the, the the main main big ones that we still debate all the time is a uh, Shaka Khan slash Mary J. Sweet Thing. <laughs> and Sweet Thing, to me, it's kind of obvious that it's that it's about a side piece. Just like, just like saving all my love. I mean, everything yeah. she says, I will love you anyway, even if you cannot stay. I I wish you were my lover, but you act so undercover. And then, uh, be it right or be it wrong, like. It's like it's so obvious during the verses, but that chorus comes on and you just jam into it. And I've You're jamming and you yeah. think it's a song about, you know, the love of your life or maybe even your first love. Shaka is one of the original side chicks on record because she has a couple of songs where she yeah. talks about being in love with someone who either doesn't return that love or he just belongs to someone else. Sweet Thing is one of those songs. Shaka's written so many songs that she always says. You know, I wrote this, but I don't remember writing this. She was that high that she does not remember writing it. Something else that's that's the same way. Actually, it's a little bit different, but um, I think we've mentioned we did mention very special. So that's the uh, Ronnie and yeah. Dev Laws. It's already yeah. kind of weird because they're brother and sister singing it, but so weird. That, yeah, it's weird. Hey. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're actually gonna have to do an entire episode about songs that were sang by family members and it's like that's not right like yeah. i would never sing that to my sister and if my sister uh, sang that to me then i would probably get her help um or yeah. disown her that's, um, that's tiger king level right there yeah like so there are certain things that siblings should not sing to each other and you know talking about you know being very special and all your love and in your heart it was true love is life it's like no, I would never sing that to my any of my siblings, and I would hope they would not sing it to me. That's just like the staple singers. Um, let's do it again. And listening to yeah. the song, it's like, oh, yeah. But then you realize it's a father and a daughter talking about let's do it wait, again. Wait, that's, that's a father and a daughter? It's, yeah, it's the staple singers. It was Pop Staples and Mavis singing it, and it's... Wow, wow. It, talking, I mean, they're actually talking about doing it again, actually. Uh, meaning, but it's like... I ain't really... <laughs> what? Yeah, that should not happen. Like, it... But, and people be... If you... Listen, the old heads, they groove to that still, not knowing, or maybe they do know, they just don't care. I don't know. That's none of my business. Listen, Lauren Hill ain't gave me my superpowers yet, so I'm gonna mind my business. But that's one of those songs you're like, oh... That's not right. And Very Special is definitely in that category of, yeah. like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just can't see singing that. Like, I can't see Michael and Janet doing a song like that. I couldn't, not at all. Thing. Like, we, it would be a thing. Like, we would have had a lot to say about it. 
Yeah, for sure. It's it's weird, and it's like one thing about that song. I was playing that at a wedding maybe four years ago. They told me to play some seventies, eighties, whatever too, and I'm playing it because it's just a classic song. And like I told you, when I'm playing certain songs at a wedding, those verses hit different. So as soon as she said, and even though I can't have you, I'm like, wait a minute, I shouldn't be playing this. Yeah, like, this is a like these are true. Ew. Yeah, I'm like, all these songs are side chick songs. So that's another one that, that it didn't hit me until that moment. And I'm like, I'm looking at the audience to see if they caught it, to see if they even paying attention. They're not. They're not paying attention to it, but it, it hit me in the soul. Like, wait a minute, let me let me erase this from my wedding crate. One of the biggest ones that even Verdine said he was confused about was um, Earth, Wind, and Fire Reasons. So Reasons is tricky because oh. it's like, it's not as clearly verbalized as Sweet Thing and as Saving All My Love, but it's, you always, that's that's a straight staple wedding song for 70s, 80s couples. Like, I don't know about your parents. My parents were probably married before it came out, but either way, it's like that one, it's not about infidelity. I'll give it that, but it's about a one night stand. I mean, the lyrics are not super clear, but they're saying stuff like, after all our reasons why, all of our reasons were a lie. You know, love love was left aside and, you know, all of our illusions fade. I guess the last one I'll do is uh, Love Strain by Confunction. Love Strain. So let me think. Uh, of course, I, you, I love that uh, track. I'm always loving it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And if you watch their own song, you realize that what happened was two of the band members were in love with the same woman and they wrote this song about train. that love triangle. Yeah, it's a love train. train. Yeah, you, you get it, it's a love train. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, wait a so that was like, uh, that was a meaning that a lot of people didn't even get. I think 2014, I didn't get that. 2014 really? I think was when they did their own song and that's when it came out and everybody collectively around the world was like, oh shit. That's the way like, it goes on love train. Love you, train. It's your like, chance. You... Oh, oh. <laughs> All right, all right. Just a few of the songs that we're listening to, and people yeah. are not realizing that you know this is not that's not what it means. I didn't catch that one, and I mean, luckily I haven't played I haven't played that away because that you it might know. imply that, that that there's a Lance in them situation from Best Man. If that's yes, the case, exactly. All right. Once again, for anybody who's out there who wants to um, bring up who wants us to bring up a certain topic um, to discuss for the drop segment of the show, go ahead and email us at. Behind the wheels pod at gmail.com, and we can go ahead and discuss that and get into it. And with that, we're going to get into our last segment. So, this segment is one of our staple segments on here. I think EB might be leading me, or it might be Ty, whatever it is. It's called Beat Match. It's called Beat Match. And with that, me and EB basically, you know, pick two artists. You know, we mentioned two legendary artists, producers, whatever it may be. And we take sides on who we think will come on top in a battle. So the last one we had was Jodeci and Boyz II Men. I rode with Jodeci, but unfortunately, you know, our producers, Melissa and the lady always picked the winner and they went ahead and picked Boyz II Men last time. It's cool. So this time, I think what we should discuss is one of those long debates that we've had forever. They came from the same exact camp, the same city, or at least the same state, at least. They were cousins. I didn't realize that until recently. Two producers who also made solo music between... Timberland and Pharrell, two hmm. of my favorites, probably two of your favorites, two yes. of anybody who's in our generation's favorite producers, maybe even top three, top two. Yeah, I'll go ahead and, you know, you're my guest, so I'll, I'll let you go ahead and decide. Who do you want to ride um, for in this, okay. in this debate? So like you said, this is actually very, very hard because they both are great. I will be team Pharrell today for All this right. moment. And I will also say that 
Um, Melissa and the lady, they chose correctly last week with boys to men. But guys, on social media, you can hashtag behind the wheels pod and you can add artistic and myself because on social media, people were giving it to Jodeci. So again, hashtag us, add us behind the wheels pod and let us know for any of these beat matches, like who you think should come out on top. I agree. I agree with that. I mean, most of my folks were saying Jodeci, but I mean, it's close either way, just like this one. So, I mean, I'm happy you said Pharrell because I've always been a bigger Timberland fan, even though I'll admit I probably play more Pharrell songs as a DJ. But right, beyond right. that, I've always been Team Timberland. So, so the way that this format works is that we both discuss our piece, then we have a rebuttal, then we have a closing argument. So, you know, as my guests, go ahead and speak your piece about Mr. Pharrell okay. Williams. Yeah, let me so, hear what you got to say. I will say this. I will say that Pharrell is, uh, well, he was a young visionary and he's so versatile in his work. Um, some of the first works that we heard from him, and at the time you didn't even realize that it was him, were like uh, Rex and Effects, Shake Your Rump, or uh, SWVs, Use Your Heart. I think that he has more range in terms of talent that he works with. Like he can go from working with somebody like ODB or Jay-Z, and then he can switch it up and work with like a Britney Spears or a Gwen Stefani. Um, Pharrell alone is great. Don't get me wrong. Pharrell alone, he's amazing. But he also has the Neptunes. He also has... N-E-R-D. And I think those things set him apart from Timberland because not only is he a writer, a producer, and a ranger, but he's also an artist in his own right. And he's had solo hits where he didn't have to depend on anyone else to be featured on, um, unlike Timberland. Now, Timberland is great for making uh, an artist a big name. He's great for you know, his work with Missy or his work with Aaliyah, but he doesn't have the range to work with LL Cool J one week, Lupe Fiasco one week, and then Shakira one week, and then Madonna one week. That's just not something that he can do well. And when you look at the range and the hits that he's produced by these various artists, it you realize that he has been... Pharrell has been the soundtrack to a lot of our lives, uh, unknowingly. Um, a couple of my favorite songs that he's on is Mystical, Shake It Fast, um, Beanie Man's Them Girls, Them Sugar, uh, Mary Steal Away, you know, Pass the Cavassier, Busta Rhymes. Um, he, he just doesn't stop. And Timberland just doesn't have it. Timberland, Timberland's great, don't get me wrong, but Timberland cannot be an artist and a writer and a producer it doesn't work for him in the same way happy happy the song happy uh was one of the biggest songs of the last decade timberland doesn't have a song that can be that can be considered one of the biggest songs of any decade he has hits and he has sounds that he's crafted but he doesn't have a song that can outlast a happy or a hollaback girl you know, he doesn't have these songs that can be these huge pop hits. That's just my opinion. I definitely disagree with a lot of those points. I feel like Timbaland has been extremely diverse 
some of those same artists you mentioned, he's definitely worked with like a Madonna type. I do mm-hmm. say he doesn't have a solo hit as big as uh, Happy, but he has some very definitive songs that are still played and will be played in another 25, 30 years. So running back through his career, he didn't have as many early songs. He didn't have like the SWV and the Rum Shakers in 93, but by the time it was 96, 97, he took over and he was huge before Pharrell was even really known. I didn't even know who Neptunes and Pharrell really were until really that Mace uh, Nori era. So just thinking about the songs and the full albums that Timbaland has produced, he definitely has better at full albums. And I, I'm going to run through some. So I feel like coming in 96, he, he took Aaliyah, who he came and reinvented her whole sound. Not only gave her a great first single, If you uh, if Your Girl only, only Knew, but One in a Million, that's one of the most... I might say it's still the most influential R&B song in the last 25 years. So many songs came from that sound. Of course, he used the same formula for uh, Cheers to You and even Jigga What, Jigga Who, but that led to songs like I Get Lonely from uh, Janet, like just that whole bounce, those triple cadence hi-hats. It influenced rap too, but especially R&B. It was just such a huge song. That same year, he had Pony for Genuine. Pony is one of the craziest productions ever. I mean... He has a, a fraud, the, the fraud from Budweiser in there or something. And that's just one of the craziest productions that we've heard. It still sounds modern. That song, you hear you hear the little Santa Monica girls singing at karaoke. You hear it at the hood club at the end. Then he, he dropped his debut the next year. He had tracks like Joy. To me, Joy had a, a similar sound to Pony, but there's great production on that. And then he fully produced that Missy debut. That's super duper fly. And I mean, the, the work on theirs, it stands for, you know, it, it speaks on its own. The Rain, of course, Sock It To Me, Beat Me 911 is one of those crazy bouncy tracks that I just love playing. He had those SWV st- uh, songs like Can We? He had the Total Trippin' What About Us. Then 98 came, Dr. Doolittle soundtrack. When he dropped that, Are You That Somebody? For Aaliyah? That beat was just so crazy. Like, we talk about how Pharrell had grinding and kids did that on, their, um, on the locker, but we were doing the same thing in 98 to so Are You That Somebody in middle school. That beat was just so psycho to me. And then he had his mid, his uh, early 2000s run and late 99 run. To me, he switched up his sound again. So for Genuine, he came back with the So Anxious and uh, what is it? And then your friend's business. Those tracks were just slow jam, lap dance classics. He came with the Jay-Z Big Pimpin', which is one of the biggest songs ever for hip hop, I would say, but especially for Jay-Z. I might say it's bigger than even Pharrell's songs with Jay-Z. Like Big Pimpin' is just one of those tracks that it goes forever. He came, you know, Aaliyah, he, he gave her some new tracks and reinvented the sound again. He had to try again. And that's just, we haven't even got into what he what he did the mid-late 2000s. But I had so much more to say, but because, you know, Timberland got so much work, but I'll let it. you go. Um, ahead and you, you mentioned, you, you mentioned this. You said that, um, you mentioned the word reinvention. And I would just like to add that Pharrell has been very instrumental in breathing second lives and reinventing the careers of a few people like Robin Thicke, who, you know, was just thick before, uh, you know, he worked with Pharrell, um, Madonna, Gwen Stefani, CeeLo, you know, he gave CeeLo a sound that was totally different than what we were used to CeeLo being, being from the South. Snoop Dogg, beautiful. And can't, uh, let's get blown. The Snoop of the 90s was nothing compared to the Snoop of the early 2000s. And a lot of that was because of Pharrell. Like he took somebody who had a certain image and he was able to uh, clean it up and breathe new life into it. 
um, mystical, you know, he came a long way from uh, I smell smoke and, you know, you know, all that no limit stuff. And he gave mystical that new sound after Omarion was done with uh, them little boys, B2K, you know, oh it was Pharrell that he went to who helped. And, and Ice yeah, okay, yeah, maybe. But okay. But Pharrell was the one who gave him touch and touch was that song touch is still that song like i'm actually and y'all, y'all can't see me but i'm over here doing the video right now to touch and i'm He's hoping lying. He's yeah, you know, listen, yeah. listen um and then for him to work with nsync and i'll say this i'm not the biggest nsync fan but i will i do recognize that nsync came out as a typical 90s boy band you know they had a certain sound um and pharrell came along and he gave them that edgy sound and made them R&B. So he's a lot of the reason that Justin Timberlake is R&B today. And speaking of Justin Timberlake, so with that, I'm going I'm to tell you this. I feel like what, what kind of shows Timberland being better than me is that that first album, of course, The Justifier was a good album. It's dope, rock your body. But two things with that. The first thing is Pharrell, the difference between Pharrell and Timberland in many cases is that when Pharrell was making a lot of these songs, they were kind of like stripped down versions of what we had heard before. So that's the reason that those songs went to Justin Timberlake, the Rocket Body Singerita, and Usher, You Don't Have to Call, went to Timberlake, but he made those for Michael Jackson. He right. made their front for uh, for Prince, and they mm-hmm. turned those down because they felt like these are just like, we've done these before, and they, they're nothing touching off the wall and, and Kiss uh, from back in the day. So so with that, Timberland took... Um, to Timberlake, for one, he gave arguably arguably the best song on Justified with Crummy a River as far as production goes. Then he came back with that full album when he when he went with that uh, second album with that Future Sex Love Sounds. I'm saying the production was so fast forward thinking, and I feel like that's the main difference is that Timberland has always been a very futuristic producer, and he's always set a lot of trends. I, I feel like Pharrell has been forward thinking a lot too, but a lot of his songs, even mentioning like Be- Beautiful and the Let's get blown. Those just have kind of a disco like remade feel to them versus being its own thing. Like even in that 07 era, talking about reinvention and, and pop songs, that's when Timbaland got with Danger. He switched his whole style up. He had the whole, he had the promiscuous girls. He had the, the give it to me. Those type of songs he made for these pop artists. He had the sexy back. Those tracks almost, they didn't at all create EDM, of course, but they kind of led to that boom because he he found that perfect bridge between where the urban crowd still enjoyed these pop songs. Like we heard those in the club. We didn't get mad. Like a lot of times before that, we, we didn't want to want to hear no pop. We didn't want to hear what, what Nelly Furtado really had to, uh, you know, had in the club. But we heard that. We heard Pr- Promiscuous Girl. It was like, that's that's fire. And also I'll say in the last decade, he still had heat. He he worked on Rocket for Beyonce, Blow, Partition, the Jay-Z Tom Ford. So, I mean, I feel like Timbaland had a lot of heat that people forget about the last decade. And uh, with that, I'll let you... Yeah, I'll let you go ahead and get your closing argument in, you know. Like I said at the beginning, he doesn't, Timberland is great, but does not have the range to compete with somebody like Pharrell. Pharrell has produced Babyface and Puffy. So you have a producer producing two great producers. Like Babyface is a legendary producer um, and giving them post-2000 hits. A couple of the songs from Pharrell would be Noriega's Super Thug. I'm still running around talking about what, 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 what. You got, uh, come on, Mystical, Shake Your Ass. You got Jay-Z's I Just Want to Love You. Nelly's Hot in Here. These are some of the biggest songs from 
the early 2000s. And it's all because of Pharrell. Pharrell definitely had some hits, but I feel like a lot some of his songs don't sound as great now. Like I feel like a lot of the songs I mentioned for Timbaland still go. I mean, the Nicole Ray, Make It Hot, Missy, Hot Boys. I mean, even when you hear it, uh, I mean, as soon as you hear a uh, Fat Man Scoop, Crickly Crank, Timbaland, if I hear that, I'm dancing like I'm in You Got Serve. I'm crumping. I, the, the Holy Ghost of Crump just invades my body and I'm dancing to it. I mean, he had the one of the craziest new trap R&B productions with Sorry Not Sorry with um Bryson Tiller. So I feel like if, if you talk about that, I got to roll with Timbaland. And to conclude, I'll go ahead. <laughs> Yo, not the Holy Ghost Crump. All right. All right. It, it, it infects my body. I, I breathe in, I breathe out. And that song was not sampled. That song sounded like it was straight 70s and that's not a sample. So... I got a, I got our old Timbo. So, um, and shout out Missy as well for uh, being there with him. So, at this time, I'll go ahead and let our producers, Melissa and the lady, you know, hopefully, you know, it's Christmas time and they will gift me with, you know, the right decision that, you know, I've, I've earned for this, this beat match. So, we're we going to see. We'll let them deliberate. This is the first one that I'm coming into where it's like a completely even playing field. Like, I don't have a, a like tear or pull toward one of them already. And you guys presented such like great arguments and I am still torn. Uh, I, I really, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. now, look, put on a pony right now. Put on one in a million right now. Don't do that. Don't do yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can do I mean that. but like. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> hey, why would you? Uh, it's something about the clips right now. I know. Oh my God. This is uh, the lady. What do you have? Well, so I definitely feel the same way. Um, I'm mad that y'all even did this matchup. I know y'all have done <laughs> matchups for the last few weeks, and I don't care. I still wasn't ready. I didn't want to talk about them for a long time because I just can't seem to can't seem to make a decision. I will say that growing up. In like middle school, high school, Timbaland was so much more influential for the artists that I cared about. So the Missy's and Aaliyah's and Nicole Ray and Tweed and like, and then it just kept going. Um, so I have a lot of memories around a lot of his beats. And then I was like the biggest Jay-Z fan and I've seen him over 15 times. So it's like, it is what it is. But then Pharrell, when I really started to recognize who he was and his contributions, I'm like, oh my God, I love those songs too. They were also a part of those memories. And then listening to y'all, I'm like, Man, I don't know. They both have I know. Is some of the same artists. They both were able to switch their sounds mm-hmm. up. And then when EB was like, well, he also produced other producers. I'm like, oh, my God, Pharrell really did. He's like been killing it. But then Timbaland, I'm just like, you can't deny some of these major hits. So I just still was not able to make a decision here. Question. Yep. Has... Timberland ever had a suit brought against him for his music? <laughs> uh oh, uh oh, let's see. That's a good question, though. Have, actually, have, have your legal team uh search through a couple of court documents <laughs> and you know, you're gonna get yeah. copyright and associates on this real quick. I, I'm just wondering because because I, I, mean, I, I think Pharrell does get a little. Ping down on originality. Jealous. jealous. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll say a lot of a lot of here's the thing. A lot of Pharrell beats are, are, are uh, derivatives of, of other songs. So even like Robin Thicke, you mentioned that 
Well, I love yeah. you, girl. That was derivative of Prince Housequake. You well, this is why the legend co-signed Pharrell, and he works with people like Niles Rogers of Sheep, is because they recognize that, oh, he's great. <laughs> he's great at taking somebody else's sound and, <laughs> and getting sued he's for like the long-standing musical tradition of oh, you know, what's true. mine is mine and what's yours will be mine soon. <laughs> hey. Well, there it is. Uh yeah. I'm calling it a tie. That's that's where I'm leaving it. Mm. Same. It's a tie. Sweet album. Sweet album. We're tied up. So what this means is that the listeners should right. be adding us and hashtagging behind the wheels pod to let us know you are a tiebreakers at this point because mm -hmm. our producers are stuck. Um but I feel like they're not. I feel like I won. They just don't want to say that. But because I don't have my superpowers yet, Lauren, <laughs> I can't influence this either way. I, I got to say, they, I mean, they, they didn't make the right or wrong decisions, but they didn't make the wrong one, at least. I will say that. So, hey, I, I will agree with you. I'll say this, too. It was the Neptunes. It was not just Pharrell. So Timbaland had Missy as, as the songwriter, but most of that production early on, you all know, of that was the Super Friends. It was it was a collaboration, but Timberland was ahead of all that, and so was Pharrell. Nah, I mean think about I'll say this. So even though even with uh, Drop It Like It's Hot, they just discussed that. They just said how it was just the drums, but the main part is that synth. That was Chad. Chad came in. He was just playing around. Dun, but dun, but so. nobody is humming the synth of the song. Everybody's humming the drums of the song. They actually humming the the the, the little suwoop part, or whatever, whatever. Uh, don't be don't be all technical. Anyway, hey, hey, I'll say when right, that was the first right. that was the first song I ever did a strut to when I came offline. Drop it like okay. I can see that. I mean, the first song I ever got a a, a wall dance to was was um pony. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I think we I think we all, we're all hunching. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Both great, both great. I will say that both great artists. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was by far, I know, one of the hardest ones to choose. Just like, oh well, do I want to go for Timberland or do I want to go up for Pharrell? And Pharrell just had that edge to me. I would say like DJs do play more Pharrell. I, I'll say that. I also realized that Timberland has more R and B songs. He has more of those slow jams, more of those kind of a different vibe. Pharrell had more up tempo songs for sure. I'll give him I'll give him that. But I remember the first time I heard Jigga What Jigga Who, I was in wherever I was at in class sneaking to yeah. hear it. The teacher was like, nah, like you gotta turn that down. And I'm like, nah, like you wanna hear it too? Like, do you hear what I'm listening to right now? Like I was mind blown by that. I was like, you gotta hear this. Like this is exactly. yeah. So yep. So all right, it's a tie. So yeah. once again, listeners, go ahead and and do that hashtag. Let us know who you think won. Hashtag behind the wheels pod, and we will respond to you and see what you you say. Also, if you have any suggestions, anybody that you want us to put up against each other, let us know who that would be. And we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up. Um, I hope you all have a happy whatever it is that you celebrate. Uh, how they say it? A happy Christmas, Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. Um, however y'all said you know all that plus new years you know have a happy new years i will be live on twitch so once again i'm djing on twitch every weekend that is twitch.tv slash r-t-i-s-t-i-c 310 
Find me at DJRTISTIC. That is on Twitter. Uh, follow me there and make sure that you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you check out our official playlist and the podcast itself on Spotify. We have the links in the, uh, the notes of the show. And EB, go ahead and let them know where they can find you at. Yes, you can find me Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, Snapchat, wherever you social media at EB for Prez. That's EB, the number four, and Prez is spelled P-R-E-Z as in zebra. So EB for Prez everywhere universally. Yep. Uh, EB is also on Black Planet at Chocolate Drop number three. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with, with, with some Pharrell playing on my page, if with some Pharrell graphics and everything. Yes. Find him on there as well. But now, nah, in all seriousness, appreciate you all for tuning in once again. Um, big salute and shout out to our producers, Melissa and our lady. I hope you all have a good one. And hopefully, y'all can, you know, listen to some Timbaland tonight, get into that vibe and Maybe we can have like a little, like, you know, a runoff or something, you know. We'll see. We'll see. Like the Georgia Senate races, we're going to do a runoff. Yeah, that's next month anyway. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, we'll, yes, we're going to do a runoff for this. Because I don't think we're done with this discussion. I think Timberland and Pharrell got to make a comeback. Might have to. Might have to. We appreciate y'all for being tuned in. Y'all have a good one. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Muntz and the lady Yahuma Sek. It's edited by Melissa D. Muntz. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound. 